Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 100, Slate Peak. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Yeah, things are pretty busy at school right now. Lots going on. I'm happy to report very, very pleasant things, generally. And that means that it's been more than a week since, I think it's almost two weeks since I've been up to Slate Peak, and that was a memorable day. So before any more time passes, let me try to report on that trip, give you a sense of what's up there. It was my first time, even though I've heard about it for a long, long time. And, um, you know, before the snow flies, and if you're in Washington, maybe this would motivate you to get up there. So that's coming in just a second. But, of course, I have some preambles to share with you. Uh, yes, it is uh, a good time. Just generally, when you're a teacher, I think you can relate to this. You know, those first few weeks of a school year are the best of the best. Everybody's fresh. Everybody's excited. The weather's typically good. Um, everything's fresh and new. And, you know, in this particular case... The two and a half years of restrictions are gone, and so it, it, it does feel exciting. But I think it's more than that. I, I think it's more than just, uh, you know, great to be back. Instead of it just being back to normal, uh, I think it's, it's a couple steps beyond that. And here's what I mean. I can only report for what's going on here, but I, I'm guessing this is true for many places around the world, perhaps coming out of COVID. That's what I'm, I'm still talking about, believe it or not. I think these young people, in my case, 19-year-olds, in my wife's case, she teaches biology at the high school just a couple blocks away, and uh, so she's dealing with 16, 17-year-olds. Liz and I are noticing that, that these young folks are extra excited to be doing things that most of us took for granted. For instance, we were Liz and I were chaperones at the high school, the homecoming dance last night down at the high school. And just sitting there, and, and it was like a record number, like the entire school was there. And these, these kids, I, I think is, I don't know, but I, I think those kids are like, hey, we've missed out on a lot of this stuff, so we're going to participate in all this. It's all old school. We're not on our phones. We're, we're at the pep rally. We're at the, all this wholesome shit that would, excuse me. Sorry, Patrick. All this wholesome stuff that we remember from long ago, whether or not it really existed. Was everybody involved? Was everybody included? Probably not. But uh, between the high school and the university, we are reporting. Our humble, our humble recordings are that these kids know that they've missed out on a bunch of stuff over the last two years, and they are extra motivated to just plug in. Yes, they're socially awkward. Yes, they their skills are rusty. Uh, maybe, maybe there's no rust. Maybe they never were developing as a person to the point where they could just sit around and have a scone and talk to somebody without uh, imploding. But we are seeing that, and it's it's damn positive. It's just positive. Okay, I'll leave that alone. Uh, so yes, at, at the university. Uh, attendance is excellent. These kids are there every day. I think I mentioned that in the last podcast. Um, 
the, the first big midterm in my geology 101 is is tomorrow so we'll see <laughs> we'll see how things go after that and i laugh because yeah if, if there's some terrible scores then folks suddenly don't come anymore and their their feelings get hurt but that's part of it as well uh, i have been pressing hard to get people together every Friday in the building, and that has been going well. Jeff from Vinman's Bakery has been walking up all these goodies every Friday, donating them to the department. So that can't last forever, so I need to start figuring out how we can support him, how we can pay him for what he's doing. Uh, but it, it's all working quite well, and these Friday talks um, are beginning this week, and be broadcasting these guests to our building and broadcasting those those lectures live on on YouTube and uh, we'll see how that goes seems like I have things set up the way that I want to have it work the other preamble and I guess I'll choose my words carefully here but the other what do I want to say You know, I've been doing a lot of this stuff, right, on YouTube and, and here as well for the last couple of years, two plus years, three years, I guess now. I'm starting to see people doing things and, all right, well, let me just, so I'm, I'm start, starting to see people basically take what I'm doing and, and use it. <laughs> All right, maybe I don't, if I'm if I'm struggling this much, maybe I don't even really want to say what I want to say. Uh, yeah, I guess I won't say it. Uh, let me be positive. I'll be positive. How about that? I I heard from Tony at Crime Pays but Botany Doesn't. Do you know that YouTube channel? Uh, I heard from him. He saw the video with Sky Cooley, and we're up on top of Saddle Mountains, and and he's, uh, and I don't know Tony, but uh, he's got a, a very large following, and and I, I I love what he does. And you're in for a treat if you don't know about that channel. Crime pays, but botany doesn't. It's it's very unique in every sense of the word. But he was impressed with my setup. Like he says, how are you talking to this guy? Uh, and capturing that on your on your and what kind of what kind of camera are you using is it an iphone and and what kind of stabilizer do you have so anyway he might be moving in that direction and he's talking about coming up here and doing something a few videos with me next spring we'll see if it happens but that was nice and another positive is that uh there's a guy oh oh, i can't remember the name now i should have done my homework there's a guy in wyoming who has just a incredibly high production values i think he does it all himself oh man why didn't i look that up myron myron somebody i'm sorry forgot to look that up what is this anyway there's some new videos coming out from wyoming and this fellow myron is i guess about my age i'm not sure uh, but he's using a drone and and uh he, he, he's doing it all and also has a nice approach. The tone of it is excellent. He's not talking down to his audience and everything else. Okay, well, the thing I I guess I do want to say is that there's an extremely popular video 
channel and the channel's connected to PBS and the host contacted me for some details about where he could film here in Washington. So I, you know, told him all that I knew and uh, he watched a bunch of my videos and uh, I don't know, I'm still processing what I feel like. The, the video came out a few days ago and it's, it's a lot of my stuff basically. All right, I get off of this. Um, it's great. A lot of a lot more people are learning about that topic. And uh, <laughs> okay, moving on. So slight peak. North Cascades. Uh, there's a geologist named uh, Ralph Hagerud, USGS Ralph Hagerud, University of Washington graduate. Uh, incredible amounts of field work involving the North Cascades all through the 1970s, the 1980s, and halfway through the 1990s. And then there was a shift within the USGS, rather dramatic shift, where suddenly he wasn't funded anymore, or his job does not send him to the North Cascades anymore. And so he had all sorts of mapping and projects and I think collaborations with other students and other colleagues uh, that all just kind of stopped, like 1994. And in the case of Ralph, he really hadn't been up to Slate Peak much since then. And so um, I've done two videos with Ralph Hagerud in the last month. We have been struggling with air quality here due to wildfires. Uh, our valley with Ellensburg is kind of working out quite well. But um, over in Wenatchee and then up in the North Cascades, it's, it's pretty tough. So I was going to go with Ralph up to Slate Peak uh, a month ago, and it just didn't work because of air quality. But uh, I, I just went over and, and visited with Ralph uh, in his porch at his beautiful home overlooking Wenatchee. And he had his big North Cascades geologic map, and so... Even though the air quality was poor, I think it worked well, and we just had a conversation, whatever it was, 45-minute video overlooking that map and just kind of figuring it out, asking a bunch of questions. And it became clear that he had unfinished business in the North Cascades, unfinished business from the mid-1990s, which I didn't totally visualize or, or see clearly until recently. Oh, boy, we got Bijou. Hang on. It's early Sunday morning, and uh, I think Liz is going to be sacked out for another few hours. We were we were there pretty late, but it's me and Bijou the cat, so this is a rare cameo appearance by Bijou the cat. Okay, um, so that was uh, there, so that video exists. If you wanna, if you wanna, uh, and Ralph has such a uh, I don't know baritone voice or something kind of soothing. I should probably grab that audio and just have that be a podcast because uh, he's he's pleasant to listen to beside the fact that he has incredible stuff oh now we got Bijou climbing all over the keyboard and everything else I don't know if this one's going to last here hey you need to get over to the side you can't snip all right 
Let's see what kind of concentration I have. I got a cat crawling all over the microphone and the keyboard, but maybe I can keep this going. Thank you for your patience. So now we're crawling onto my shoulders. <laughs> wow. All right. Somebody's not getting enough attention this morning. But for the rest of this episode, I'd like to describe Slate Peak, the geology, the experience of driving up there, and the day. So it was a Tuesday, and Ralph said, it's a long drive, but, you know, how about you pick me up in Wenatchee, and, and we just go up to Slate Peak for a day. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. That would just be a thrill. I've never been to Slate Peak. Well, he didn't really look at Google Maps. <laughs> so... I left Ellensburg at 6, and I got to his house at 7.30, and I picked him up, and we started driving north on US-97, up on the east side of the Columbia River, and the, the, you know, the, the, the smoke was improving that morning, and uh, the Great Terrace was just incredibly beautifully lit with that morning sun. And... Uh, of course, I couldn't keep my mouth shut, so I'm like, come on, Ralph, you've, you've, you've spent the last two decades with the Puget Lobe and continental ice and, and uh, the roll of water. What do you think about these great terraces? And he says, well, you know, he, he just basically didn't know that much about the great terrace, but what he did know, he thought was obviously just a came terrace thing in his mind, and it was margin of the ice and not a major story, and and if you've been listening to what I've been doing over the last six months, you know that that's status quo for me, and I, I have serious doubts about that. So I was more and more animated as we continued to drive, and I just kept saying, you know, and he, you know, it was fun to talk to him for sure, and a rare treat to talk to somebody who knows so much. Hey, you got to get off my shoulders. Not you, Bijou. You need to leave. I got to concentrate. But I just couldn't let it go. I kept, I kept, I said, you know, Ralph, it's a half an hour later. We're, we're still looking at that terrace. Ralph, we, we've, we've hung a left at Pateros. We're now going up the Metau. We got the same terrace again, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. So that wasn't the point of the trip, but there was Ice Age discussion with Ralph and those that are keeping close tabs. Uh, I will be doing Ice Age floods programs this coming spring. And so uh, I think the table is set to do some rather interesting programs, read some interesting new papers, and involve some of these folks who haven't been keeping up on the literature, and possibly there's enough goodwill where we can have some discussions without people getting all upset, which I don't think is as likely now as it was a generation ago, but what do I know? We'll, we'll see this winter. Okay, well, by the time, what, what was it, maybe 10, 10.30, we were finally up to uh, Mazama, uh, cross-country ski place in the winter. Uh, lots of uh, retired people with uh, Patagonia. And so we had coffee and a Danish and just took a little break. And then back in the car and drove again. And leaving Mazama, or Mazama, I guess they call it Mazama up there, uh, now it's virgin ground. Now we're on a Forest Service road that's getting uh, tougher and tougher. And Ralph hadn't been up there in 15 years. 
but that was his home base for many years back in the 70s and 80s. And so it was like going home. He kept saying that. It's like, boy, this, I have all these personal memories when my kids were young and we were up here at Slate Peak all the time. And so I was with an expert. I was with a guy who knew well. I didn't have to worry about directions or anything else. And yeah, there's a place called Dead Horse Point as you continue to go up this tough road. And I just had my little white car from Central, you know. I didn't have any special Jeep or four-wheel drive truck or whatever. And the road wasn't that bad. And I have no problem with heights, really. So, yeah, there's a huge drop-off. I don't know, a few thousand feet right off the shoulder. And that seems to be a problem for some. But, you know, I was just looking at the road. So... Around Dead Horse Point, there was a little bit of construction and little rock slides they're trying to clear off the road, et cetera. And then by the time it was, I think it was 1130. So I'd been driving already for like five and a half hours. <laughs> we finally got up to the parking lot, the end of the road for Slate Peak. And at Slate Peak itself, there's a there's an old fire lookout and there's some other kind of, I don't know, World War II history or something. I don't know any of that. But apparently... It's the highest place you can drive in a passenger car in the state of Washington. I think the elevation at the parking lot up there is 7,400 feet. And there was a little bit of haze in the distance, but otherwise it was gorgeous up there. And I'm not into the tamaracks and all that other stuff, but, you know, uh, there's plenty to enjoy up at Slate Peak besides the geology. But for the rest of this episode, at the 18-minute mark now, Let's get to some of the bedrock. And yes, there's a video waiting for you. About 10,000 people have found it, uh, seem to enjoy it. Uh, to this point, I have the gizmo and the mics working quite well. And so I think the capturing those experiences of being up at a place like that, first of all, scenery is great. Second of all, the geology is not obvious. And so to have this person who knows it better than anybody else it's just those experiences continue to be a thrill and to have the trust of these folks to just go out there with me knowing that a bunch of people are going to watch it not you know having to edit what i do they just go out you know i always am careful to say look do you want me to send you the link uh before i make it public and double check and they're like no no we're i trust you you'll be fine you'll you'll do what you like okay so, geologic impressions from Slate Peak area. Well, first of all, there's bedrock right off the bat. So, if you are limited with mobility, but you can walk, what was it, 100 yards uh, at, at 7,400 feet elevation, if, if, you're, if your lungs can handle that, I think that would be worth the trip alone. You get down on your hands and knees, you look at some black bedrock that's loosely called slate but it's not quite that high grade material it's 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 kind of a borderline between shale and slate it's crumbly in other words but right off the bat and that's where I turn the camera on and that's how the video opens up Ralph is showing me these snails these snail fossils from a hundred million years ago a hundred and hundred and ten million years ago cat is back my goodness what is up with you I'm sorry, listeners. This is a disjointed one, apparently. Um, so 
apparently at, at one point long ago, Ralph was very into those snail fossils. You'll have to watch the video to get the actual scientific name for them. I don't know what it is. But you didn't have to look hard. You didn't have to work hard to see those snail fossils. And so they're obvious in this slate of Slate Peak. And Ralph was, this was one of the things that just kind of abruptly stopped when, the, when his job changed. But he was working with a paleontologist at the Burke Museum to try to somehow work with the paleo latitude that those snails must have lived at. Okay, so first of all, we're, we're in a shallow marine setting. In other words, those snails tell us we're in some sort of tidal scene. So we're at sea level. And yet, the rock is now at 7,400 feet elevation. Okay, number two, we're more than 100 million years ago. Well, number three, there's a bunch of exotic terrains to the west, as well as to the east, as well as to the north, as well as to the south, that you can see in all directions from Slate Peak. So just that slate itself at Slate Peak perhaps is a clue, if pursued, to try to reconstruct at least the former latitude of that particular bedrock. So you know why I'm pausing now. This is essentially a teaser into Baja BC, a series of live streams that I'm going to start next month, November 16th, I think, maybe exactly from a month from now. Wednesday at 2 p.m., November 16th, if that's the actual date. And I'm going to try to use all sorts of geology in the discussion of Baja BC. And so something like the slate of Slate Peak in the Metau block can be one thing we could potentially use. Okay, so the entire day, the entire video was up at Slate Peak, and we were looking at mountain peaks in all directions from something called the Metau block. So to remind you, I don't know, maybe have we done that with the audio episodes here? I'm not sure. So the idea is that the Wenatchee block and the Chelan block are two major portions of the North Cascades fruitcake. And those have stories involving major plutons and uh, rocks that were plunged deep into the earth and then exhumed back up to the surface very quickly. In the Wenatchee block, it was units like the Mount Stewart Batholith, the Chewakam Schist, the Ingalls Ophiolite. Do you remember? In the Chelan block, which I don't know if I've done much here, but I was making videos from in late summer, Labor Day weekend, for instance, I was up looking at the Eniat Pluton, the Napiqua Schist, the Cascade River Schist, and the Chelan Migmatite. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, once we cross into the Metau block, which means we're heading north from the town of Chelan, which means we're crossing the Ross Lake Fault Zone, which means we're suddenly into rocks that are nothing like the crystalline core. So you know, from past radio episodes, you know the term crystalline core. That's the Wenatchee and Chelan block. That's this very stubborn, high-grade, meaning... Uh, Rocks exposed to extreme high temperatures and pressures at incredible depths, greater than 40 kilometers depth. And here those rocks are back at the surface quickly. That's the crystalline core. Well, this Slate Peak episode was 
firmly in the metal block, which is next door to the crystalline core, which means we are not dealing with high-grade metamorphic rocks. Even though we're looking at Slate Peak, all of the rocks of the metal, most of the rocks of the metal block were not plunged deeply into the mid-levels of the crust and then brought back to the surface. In fact, they're mostly sedimentary. So we were looking at some sandstones up at Slate Peak. We were looking at some dikes and sills, some that were mafic, some that were felsic, but not, again, not uh, in, in uh, volume of magma, not in geometry, not in timing of the, meta, of the uh, Chelan and, and uh, Wenatchee block. So we were clearly out of the crystalline core. And the most interesting part of the video to me is that as we continued to film, and by the way, I, I usually film about three times the footage that I actually use, so I edit these things down pretty, pretty, pretty uh, aggressively. But you know, at whatever the ninety minutes worth of, of Ralph chatting, and we had a just a casual guy up there who was you know kind of not totally in tune with what we were doing, so he was like interrupting me as I'm trying to interview Ralph. It's just a guy that was in the parking lot that just joined us. He's a biologist. I think his name was Bill. So it's just the three of us kind of chatting. But as, as the conversation continued, this works well if you're doing video. You get to a point where you just go back and forth, and usually the person you're talking to who's going to end up being featured in an interview kind of forgets that the camera's there. They forget that the microphones are on. And some are more... Some slip into that much quicker than others. Some are never totally at ease because they know they're being recorded. But in the case of Ralph, he got animated up there, and he let his guard down if there was a guard. And by the end, he was using his hands and and uh, and sharing uh, again ideas that were you know abruptly cut off uh, things that he was working on. Hey, bees, you get off the. Oh, boy, are we still recording? Goodness sakes. Um, sorry about that, listeners. I I'm going to keep this one. I don't care. Fighting a cat during an episode. So the theme today is that this geologist was continuing high-quality research involving decades of experience when he just had to suddenly leave and one of his kind of working thoughts back in the mid-90s was the potential that the metal block, unmetamorphosed rocks, were the upper plate of the crystalline core, which is the lower plate. And if you're a longtime fan of geology, you know that upper plate and lower plate, those phrases mean metamorphic core complex and that the Ross Lake Fault Zone is somehow the detachment fault between the Metau and the Chelan blocks. Now, I have no doubt that I've lost some of you here. I'm, I'm kind of assuming that you've seen some of the live streams last winter, for instance. Or maybe I had an, a radio episode talking about metamorphic core complexes. I probably did. But it's a, it's a radical thought. It's a new thought. And surprisingly, one of these grizzled old-timers who's not really hip on you know, uh, subglacial flow with the ice, ice sheet. He's not, he's not willing to be hip there. 
But to me, the metamorphic core complex idea for the North Cascades is hip. And some of the folks on the Dream Team are less enthusiastic than I, I think, about this potential for metamorphic core complex, which just to review very quickly for you is you have rock that's in the mid to low levels of the crust of North America, what is now North Cascades. And then starting about 50 million years ago, this stuff just in the crystalline core, this stuff just rockets to the surface, as Mike Eddy is fond of saying. Just races to the surface. And it's not just the North Cascades. There are these metamorphic core complexes all throughout northeastern Washington and eastern British Columbia and even into Idaho and Montana. So there's this regional story of extension and lifting and getting these deep rocks up to the surface in a hurry. And to do that, you need to take the stuff that was on top of the deep rocks and slide it away. Like you have these opening um, sliding doors that are, that are sliding away in both directions, east, west, north, south, however you like, but just get those upper plate rocks physically opened so that this underlying turtle shell can come to the surface. I know that I was talking about turtle shells with you a year ago here. So the crystalline core is the turtle shell, and the stuff that slid off of the uplifting turtle shell is the metal block and other rocks. Ralph Hagerud saying that. The geometries are difficult. The Ross Lake fault zone is vertical, for sure. It's not low angle like a detachment should. So there's some issues there. But it was fun to get him to that direction. And I, since I'd been thinking about metamorphic car complexes and turtle shells last winter, and I'm sure Ralph did not see those episodes, uh, I was able to kind of prod him in the direction that I thought might be interesting to our viewers, longtime viewers who were able to follow those, uh, those trains of thought. So what's on top of Slate Peak for you if you want to take that drive? And would it be a, you know, by the way, I drove all the way back home. So by the time I got home at 9 that night, I'd been, you know, mostly driving 6 in the morning till 9 p.m. But despite that, it was a, it was a really wonderful day and a chance to just chat nonstop about geology with Ralph the entire day going up and, and going back. So what's up there on top of Slate Peak for you? A chance to see snail fossils in slate that's 105 million years old, some sandstone that's not that impressive, some squirts of magma, not that impressive. But the views looking from Slate Peak into the Pesatan Wilderness, the views, okay, I'm about done here, but I have to say it, I had heard about evidence that the ice sheets, so we're back to the Ice Age now, surprisingly. I had heard that there are places in the North Cascades where it's clear that the continental ice sheet crossed into the mountains. Instead of alpine glaciers filling individual U-shaped valleys, I had heard that there are these arets that are beveled over. Instead of a razor-sharp arete that's separating one U-shaped valley from another, which is the classic alpine glacial scene, I had heard that there's places 
where the arêtes are overrun or beveled over or clearly eroded by ice sheet activity flowing into the mountains. Well, that's what you can see at Slate Peak. If you're not into this exotic terrain stuff and you want to see a place where it's just super obvious that the Cordilleran Ice Sheet was invading the mountains and crossing over and basically covering all the mountains in ice, in a thick ice sheet, Slate Peak's your place. I was stunned by that. And we didn't even comment on it that much in the video. But there's enough to give you a sense of that. There's glacial erratics on top of these ridges. How do you do that unless you have a continental ice sheet coming through? So it's a mixture of scenery, for sure, in all directions. Ice sheet evidence, yeah. And then some of these exotic terrain exposures, which of course are fun to look at, but at the same time, almost impossible to place into some sort of major narrative. Even for stuff like I'm doing, it's just so difficult to take these little scraps of bedrock that's from the Mesozoic and do something with it. But whether you can try to get up to Slate Peak before the snow flies or you try again next summer, it's a destination. And for 35 years, I've had people say, you call yourself a geologist and you have not been to Slate Peak? How dare you? I am so dis disappointed with you, young man. Well, I don't have to be on the receiving end of that anymore. I've been to Slate Peak, and maybe you can say the same. Okay, I think we'll wrap this one up. Thank you. Sorry about the distractions with Bijou. He's finally left the room and is going to sulk in the corner. And I hope everything's going well with you. Uh, I'll be starting these live broadcasts as soon as this coming Friday, which is October 21st, and I suppose there'll be some confusion. So there'll be some live broadcasts of guests giving Friday talks to our department. That's not me giving the talk, but uh, that's me directing the cameras. But then, yes, uh, I'm starting to get very serious about how I want to lay out these Baja BC episodes, 26 of them, Baja BC A to Z, Oh, shit. I should, I should, sorry, Patrick. I should look up the date before we quit. Starting November 16th at 2 p.m. Pacific time, we will launch Baja BC A to Z. Every Wednesday at 2, every Saturday morning at 9. Thank you, dear listener. I appreciate you tuning into this one and all of these. I love you. And goodbye.